Greetings, Citizen Civs. You've tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 57 and was recorded on January 31st and made available for download February 3rd at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. And I'm Tony. Uh, So, what have we got this week, Tony? In this week's Squawk Box, we tell you all about nothing, as far as we can see anyway. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, details on the latest patch to hit the PTU, all things Glass, and everything that we can about the Star Citizen Town Hall. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we talk about Klaus and Werner. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. We've added a new feature to our website, GuardFrequency.com, a Patreon campaign button. We've got a variety of rewards and backer levels, but essentially, if you know how Kickstarter works, well, you're most of the way there. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it is nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that you folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We'd like to thank the folks that have already chipped in, and we hope you consider making a regular contribution, because ultimately, the more support we get, the better show we can make. Well, that takes care of housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. We're just switching This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. So, I'm pretty sure CIG is going to have to rethink its stance on cloaking after we get through with this segment, because it turns out that with a 3D printer, some extra science goodness, and a AA battery, you can make something disappear. In research funded by the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, Hao Zin, a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Arizona, has produced metamaterial superlenses with a negative index of refraction in the microwave portion of the spectrum. That's a fancy way of saying that these new materials can make radar waves bounce off a specially designed nanostructure in a controlled fashion. Uh, you know, that kind of also sounded pretty technical. Um, uh, he makes stuff invisible by using special stuff. There, there we go. Uh, Just to be clear, this is a current reality, a material that can make an object invisible to radar under laboratory conditions. Within arm's reach are microscopes that can view individual proteins and viruses and similar metamaterials invisible to the visible spectrum. Oh, 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 and more energy-efficient and earthquake-resistant buildings, more powerful solar power converters, improved sensor technologies, and super-miniature antennas. So as much as this is starting to sound like another Star Trek technology on its way to reality near you... Dr. Zinn has a different franchise guiding his research. Quote, invisibility cloaks will be a reality in my lifetime. Unquote. Interesting. Hmm. This is interesting. And I like that it's done with effectively off-the-shelf components. I mean, admittedly, the metamaterials you've got to kind of have a bit of engineering on. But it's basically, like you said, 3D printing and a battery. Yeah, it's basically copper, um, polymers, and just they just fold it really weird ways uh, and on a nano scale so that it interferes with the wavelengths. The small scale of the materials is basically uh, shorter than the wavelength of a microwave. And so it basically interferes with the, the wave's propagation and can actually turn it around on itself. You know, indexes of refraction are generally positive numbers. It's a deflection off of the direction of travel. This actually turns it around because of the structure of the materials that it's made out of. So 
it's kind of crazy that we are really close to making something invisible to particular wavelengths. So does this mean that they've actually managed to find a way of, like, whenever you have anything that's reflective or refractive or even absorptive, there is a energy loss in the particles that are being reflected back. Mm -hmm. So does this mean that they found a way to combat that as well? Because obviously you might be able to reflect the beam back. Hence the battery. Ah, Right, hence the battery. Now it all makes sense. Yeah. So obviously they're sort of repowering it as it comes back out. So it exits in basically the same state at which it enters. That is awesome. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is this is a, a genuine leap forward. And really sad that CIG is going to have to go back to the drawing board on its whole stance on cloaking. Because we're going to be able to cloak stuff, at least to specific wavelengths in the laboratory, within the next four or five years. Yeah, but then you've got the Treaty of Algernon, don't you? So that's, Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Romulans are going to be pissed. Mm-hmm. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, check your screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Crowdfunding update for January 31st, 2015, 71,829,000, another million marked past. Yeah, they still owe us three development letters because they just barely got the one out for, what, $68 million all those many weeks ago. Uh, 742,000-plus citizens and practically 616,000 members of the UEE, 7,000 jumping citizens, and 11,000 jumping UEE ships. So apparently that whole VAT tax kicking in really got some people in gear on the buying end of stuff. And also Jeff had like 4,000 of those. Oh, come on. Reverse the verse, the episode that was out recently on January 29th, uh, said that there's going to be a change to the way letters from the chairman are going to be dealt with, and that there's actually going to be a monthly letter from Chris around the middle of the month to update us on his thoughts on how things are progressing. So, yeah, I think this uh, spells the end of the traditional letter for the chairman for every million bust. The Public Test Universe was launched last week, letting those who want more pre-alpha play on the bleeding edge of Arena Commander. The PTU is a separate server from the regular Arena Commander server, where upcoming changes are tested first before they are dropped into the live game. As such, PTU builds are ahead of the main Arena Commander game, and recently patch 1.0.2 was released for the PTU. As always, there's a lot of changes, and links will be in the show notes. But here are some of the highlights that you can look forward to. Mustang Gamma and Omega had their handling improved to reduce their drift. Added shield selection to the hollow table. Entering the seat of the Gladiator will no longer swap the rear view camera. Fixed an issue that was preventing the system from kicking players persistently attacking allies. And kicking a player from the lobby will no longer cause lobby errors. What do you think, guys? These are all good things. I would like them to have a way to uninvite people in the lobby. You know, because you can send an invitation, but you can't retract the invitation, so they just sort of stay invited. If they join, you can kick, but there's no way to retract an invitation, like you said. That would be good. There's a couple of known issues that have arisen from this, though. Several ships are having radar visibility issues due to the helmet blocking the view, and uh, sometimes the character... Yeah. Well, you haven't, technically, because the helmet's blocking the view. I guess that's true. And sometimes the character will actually spawn with their helmet on backwards. I had this a couple of times. It was hilarious. And the 350R will sometimes spawn with damaged components. Lovely. Yes, that's true. That completely took me by surprise when that happened in the hangar. Um, I I also went on a bit of a ship-buying spree recently. Maybe to do with the upcoming VAT changes. Can't really say. So I'm probably responsible for some of that 11k jump. What, you, ha- you have no comment on your country's uh, overtaxation? Maybe you should have a, ro- I don't think it's... A, a tea party and a revolution. 
Yeah, because the last time that happened, that worked out so well for everyone involved, didn't it? It did for us. Well, eventually. Yeah, eventually. So uh, did you go out and buy a 350R linen? I did, I did. I didn't like the 300i, so I was thinking about, you know, what do I like, and I realized I didn't have a super fast ship, and I didn't think I should buy another Mustang, so I decided that the 350R would probably be a good investment. Well, you know, the ownership of the original Mustang is questionable in the first place. Excuse me, Space Pony. Exactly, and that's kind of my point. You know, I thought I'm ridiculed enough on this show already. I probably shouldn't right. add to the fu- like fuel to the fire there. Yeah, so, very, very yeah. So it was a 350R or a, the M50 was the other one, and uh, I settled on the 350R because I do like the look of the 300i. I just didn't like how it handled and how it fought. Um, but as a racing ship, I'm really quite enjoying it. It's pretty good. Well, at least you can land that thing. It has wheels <laughs> that come out and fold up. Okay, well, seeing where this is headed, I'm going to swiftly change the subject. So, (laughs) compact and light, it comfortably attaches to your wrist. Easy to use, it augments your life everywhere, all the time. With a Moby Glass, you can transform the ordinary into Microtech Ordinary. Like all Microtech products, the new Moby Glass has stunning visual design that conjugates style, power, and usability without compromises. At least that's the way the advert puts it. Yes, we've all heard it come up many times throughout the development process, everywhere from 10 for the chairman through to the in-universe fiction pieces like the first run of Sorry Larex Delivery. We know that the main way we'll be interacting with the Chris Roberts universe is through Moby Glass. We've often used the phrase, in a post of epic proportions, to describe how in-depth some of these design posts can be, but this phrase doesn't even begin to describe the depth of the latest design document all about the Moby Glass. So, what is Moby Glass? Well, you can kind of think of it like a 30th century smartphone, except way cooler. It's a device that sits on your forearm, and through a combination of hollow displays and augmented reality screens, like contact lenses, gives you info about everything you're looking at, and even letting you interact with it in some cases, such as when you're outfitting your ship. For example, say you go into the gun store and look at the shelves. Your mobile glass will scan the equipment and tell you all about the weapon, the name, ammo type, rate of fire, etc. And this is just one example. Like a smartphone, your mobile glass will come with apps. So you have a shopping app, a notifications app, a cargo manager app, a contacts app, a scheduler app, a weather app, a hangar service and shipworks app, a skyline app, effectively a systems map, a finance app, and a lot more. Further, the interface is diegetic, which, as you all know, means that it's built from the in-universe perspective. So everything you see on screen is what your character sees. No gamey mechanics. If you see a floating hot bar, so can other people. If you're stood in a public place, chatting with people and scanning through your inventory, other people can see you do this too. This will allow for many forms of emergent gameplay about spying on people, but it also means that your game interface can be jammed. Imagine going on a bounty hunter mission and not being able to know the names of the people around you. Yes, so this post came out. It is, I'm fairly certain, one of the longest design documentations that we have seen. Uh, It goes into everything from what the Moby Glass is, who the founders are, even what it's made of in Chris Roberts' university terms. It's all in there. And the screenshots of it just look absolutely gorgeous, especially with uh, having the Microsoft Hologlasses come out, which, by the way, loved the way you cut off Jeff last week. That's uh, 10 out of 10. It really was art. It really (laughs) was art, really. Jeff didn't even mind. That was the best part. I apologized to him, and he said, no, it was good radio. It was. What can you say? But yeah, uh, with all of this holo technology currently 
floating through the air in real life as well. Seeing this as a system in game and seeing how they're getting it to interact with literally everything from your chat to your cargo management to re-outfitting your ship it just looks amazing and i really like the fact that everything that you see is what your character sees so unlike other games and mmos where you have a, a definitive interface that is not actually part of the game world with this everything that you see is actually going on and that's just really cool. I love it from a design perspective. I really, really do. One of my earliest and longest running complaints with uh, that other MMO we're all familiar with, Star Trek Online, the UI slows the game down. I mean, I'm talking literal frame rates slows the game down. And if you are building the game in such a way that the database and the display and the elements of both those things are actually in the game universe, then it becomes part of the management of all the polygons in the system. You know, it, it's accounted for in the design of the game engine and in the frame rates that you're supposed to be uh, targeting. So I think it's brilliant, and I'm, I'm loving the way that they're uh, approaching this. I like the fact that there's gameplay about your interface. You know, somebody looking over your shoulder, shoulder surfing you like an ATM pin. So if you're going to be going through your inventory, maybe you ought to go into like a little corner with your back to the wall and so you can see who's looking at you. Uh, you know, and if you're going to go through all of your cargo, maybe you shouldn't uh, let everybody know you're carrying bazillions of dollars of stuff in your hold because someone might follow you back to your hangar and, and into space. When I first read this, I, I immediately, and I, I hate to bring this up again, thought about the HoloLens. Because imagine in 10 years uh, where the technology of this gets down to a pair of glasses or a pair of contacts and a smartphone at your waist that's controlling all of this. I mean, it's pretty much the same brilliant concept. Well, but I, I kind of like this concept better. I mean, th think about it like this. You know, right now you see people walking around talking to themselves. You can't tell if they're crazy or if they have a Bluetooth earpiece on. And, you know, with a, with a Google Glass or some sort of mobile version of the Microsoft system, you can't tell what they're looking at. So they may, they may be seeing things. So now we have crazy people talking to themselves and waving their hands in the air at stuff that's not there. But with the Moby Glass version of it, you, you know, the, holo the hologram pops up. You see, you see what people are doing. You know, it's a social interaction. Oh, I better not bother that guy right now. He's answering his email. Or that guy looks like he's really concerned about the stock market prices because I see him looking at graphs and stuff. I mean, it's a social cue. It becomes part of the world. Whereas if you have a Google Glass or a Microsoft headset on, or if they had something similar in this universe, you couldn't use those visual cues to say, now's not a good time to bother that dude. Yeah, but, I, but what I was trying to get at was that like in 10 years after the, you know, the technology has been refined and refined, we may be able to see something like that where it's more augmented reality, but everybody's seeing it. Yeah, and I think people would be much more accepting of something like this than they were of Google Glass. One of the other cool things that I really liked about the design post was uh, the fact that the interface is part of the game as opposed to an overlay. This could lead to some pretty interesting things where if you wanted to make life difficult for somebody, you could glitch their interface. You could, mm. you know, shoot out their Moby Glass emitter on their forearm, which would mean that they would have no HUD information. They would just be... Well, I was going to say blind. Obviously not blind, because it's augmented. Well, yeah, and in that, in that buried deep in that design post, Lennon, it's interesting you should mention this. Apparently, the lowest damage state possible, like the most wrecked you can get it, is, quote, the ruined state, like like for your limbs. I think they're taking some cues from Elphonic's uh, uh, limb destruction system. Even at that horribly damaged level, your Moby Glass will still retain basic functionality so you can navigate the game. So it's, it's not like your Moby Glass can be completely disabled. Apparently, it's you know after nine centuries of design development, they've got it down so that it's there's ruggedized components that will at least let you navigate the game. 
obviously it's a trade-off between being a game and being you know quote real life um, but I think that's a good call to make. Yeah, of course. I mean, because part of it is that you do have these augmented reality contact lenses, don't you? So, you know, unless you're literally shooting out somebody's eyes, you won't be able to fully right, yeah, destroy yeah. the interface. So, yeah. One thing that I really want to know, though, is because they said that not only is there going to be MobiGlass, but there's also going to be other companies offering similar systems, much like you've got Android versus iPhone today, you will have other MobiGlass-type companies producing their own designs and all that sort of thing as a mobile app developer myself i really want to make something for this system oh yeah that'd be fantastic i don't know what i make flappy hornet maybe <laughs> <laughs> of course the biggest news of the week is the star citizen town hall at pax south in case you somehow missed the announcements or all of the community hubbub the town hall was essentially a massive state of the game address that consisted of three panels the Path You Choose, A Living, Breathing World, and Getting Social, as well as a presentation by Chris Roberts and a Community's Idea Forum. Uh, CIG have now officially re- released all the footage from all the panels, and a lot of great information has come forth. Each video is about an hour long, so we won't cover everything here, but uh, here are some of the highlights you can look forward to coming to a verse near you soon, TM. From the path you choose, your characters are going to be very customizable. The crowd naturally wanted more options, so the dev said, okay, we'll add more. The stiff character walking around the hangar that we currently have is nowhere close to the final result, so if you had any fears, don't worry. It's confirmed we'll be able to wear bling. Weight will be adjustable as long as you can still fit in a ship. Tattoos will be in eventually. So will beards. The sim pod is coming very soon. This will be the way to play Arena Commander and FPS module in fiction. You will be able to take your guns planet side because security will be scaled. Major hubs will have a ton of security, such as automated lasers, whereas lesser locales will naturally have lesser security. At night, there will be less security, so you want to avoid those dark alleys as back alleys at night can be dangerous even on Terra. Planet-side instances will have matchmaking. Griefers will have their own instances, with habitual griefers and civilized systems being banished for 24 hours or some relatively similar period of time. Although you can take on whatever job you wish, there is no real formal concept of your occupation in-game, so you won't be picking a class or literally assigning yourself a job. There will be defensive missions for mercenaries, protecting space stations, escorts, that sort of thing. Also, retrieval missions, rescuing a politician, finding artifacts, etc. There will also be rescue missions for retrieving ejected pilots. When they were discussing making multi-cruise ships fun, we hear that many occupations will benefit tremendously from having help from other players. Mining is dangerous, so having help is important and valuable. Speaking of mining, the panel will go into great details about it. You don't want to miss it. Cheaper NPCs will be worse at helping you, and higher paid NPCs will be better. Fret not, though, as NPCs will learn and get better, and probably demand larger paychecks. Occupations will have some form of specialization. Refinery operators and other niche occupations will require various skills that you will have to master. For those wanting an example of a science mission, the panel say you may be sent to get a 30 second video of a volatile asteroid. It will take skill. Even exploring and salvaging will require skill. From a living, breathing world, quantum travel and jump points will be our intra and inter-system travel. It will take approximately 8 to 10 minutes to cross a system. Jump points must be updated since they gradually degrade and eventually will disappear. All architectural styles will be distinct. All the planets will have their own backstory and history. Planets will not be static. They'll change based on economic opportunity. Smog is an example of how a planet can change based on industry. So increased industry will mean more blue-collar workers. Tourists and business people will come based on a planet's status. And even a single player can have a significant impact on the smaller planets and outposts. 
There will be two types of mission. Traditional missions where you get a mission from the trade board or an NPC and translatory events that can crop up on your radar screen, such as distress calls. Finally, players transporting goods becomes a mission for players who want to hijack goods. And getting social. The social module and multiplayer hangers are coming in March or April. You'll be able to invite your friends to your hangar and can visit them and Planetside via an elevator in your hangar. And hopefully we'll also be seeing ArcCorp, a Planetside environment for exploration, although this is not promised for the first release of the social module. Come April, we'll be able to go shopping, kinda. You can browse the shops on ArcCorp with MobiGlass. Chris says, and I quote, I don't mind showing you it's under my skirt. I'd just like it to be a bit more polished, unquote. Hmm. Interesting. Speaking of which, Chris also accepts that there will be no way to prevent people from using TeamSpeak for communicating outside of the game. And so Organization Chat is going to be the one magical piece of FTL technology in the game. However, anything you do for NPCs will still be bound by the rules of the universe. And finally, we have confirmation that if you kill someone with items on them, you can loot their body. Yes, a lot of good stuff came out from the town hall. I know that when we were speaking earlier, you had some thoughts on the whole griefer thing. Oh, I have many thoughts. And, 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 and as is tradition here at Guard Frequency, I also have a solution. So okay. I'm going to define the problem, and then I'm going to tell CIG for free how to fix it. So... The solution won't be cost-free, but my advice to fix it will be, as always. So, here we go. The problem is uh, the description uh, that Tony Zurovec and Chris sort of painted about the secure zones. You walk into a place like Terra Prime, it's broad daylight, and there's all this whiz-bang security and guards and turrets and stuff, so that if some Joe Schmo whose way to get lulls in the game is to walk up and cap people thereby upping their death clock or you know having an arm chopped off and having to be replaced by a robotic prosthetic arm, if that's how they get their lulls in the universe, well, that just can't happen because all the security will zap and turrets will you know, go and stuff like that. Even if you, as they were saying, just pull your gun on one of these high security zones, the automatic stuff will, will, will start to get you. Here's the thing. The, de- the definition of a griefer, somebody that w- likes to do this, they find a way to get around the programmed, quote, security or programmed restrictions in a zone because what they can inflict upon your character is so grossly disproportionate to what it costs them to do the inflicting. So in their example, if I if I just shambled up behind an NPC, you know, or a, sorry, a PC, and maybe stepped AFK for a second in this high security zone because he wanted some more potato chips and Coke, he would come back to find that I had sidled up behind him and in one motion pulled out my little sidearm and capped him in the back of the head. Now, if we're all in-game fiction-y and all in-university stuff, the turrets might or might not be fast enough to stop me from popping the guy in the back of the head, especially if I just walk up behind him and, and just shoot him. So he's inflicted permadeath upon me, or perhaps just rolled my death counter up, and he gets put in jail for 500 bucks and has his gun taken away for 24 hours. Oh No. No. No, 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 no. That is completely disproportional. And everyone's going to be like, oh, Tony, they'll find some way to... No, their whole point is they want this to be real and in fiction and the punishment fitting the crime in the fictional world. So, yeah, your automated turrets may be fast, but they're not going to be so fast that a guy sneaks up behind an AFK PC and pulls and shoots in one motion. You know, kind of a quick draw thing. Turrets and the security guards are not going to be that fast. And even if they are, they can't cover everything. Somebody will find a spot that you can shoot from and a turret doesn't cover it or an NPC can't see it. That's the whole point of being a griefer. 
I'd almost say that so, it was probably going to become a sport. Yeah. There's supposed to be some kind of council or arbitrator system that you're supposed to be able to take this to. Yeah, can, can, can the council take? Can the council roll back my permadeath cl- uh, clock? I, I don't know. There's fiction breaking for you. I, I don't know. So I mean, there, there's a point between where the game is the game and the actions of the game are just that, actions in the game. And then there's you, the person, who is sitting on the other end of the wire, you know, using the keyboard and mouse to interact with the game. And at some point... That becomes an impact on you and not a character of you, of uh, not a, a result. Yes, exactly. It's an impact on the player, not on the PC. Right. It's, the player goes, that's no fun. I'm here in this supposedly secure zone. I got up to get some potato chips and Coke, and I'm come back and I'm permadead. Thanks a bunch. That's not fun. We're supposed to suspend our disbelief and interact with this game as, as it is supposed to be a fictional universe, and we're trying our damnedest to live within the bounds of that universe. However, there is a point where that person is a real person who has feelings and emotions and spends money. Uh Uh-huh, there it is. Spends money to play in that universe. And if that person's enjoyment is disrupted, then what do you do? Exactly. And the argument, of course, against that is is that, well, the griefers are the ones that spend all the money. Because they want the high-powered weapon that can shoot faster and out and out. And and usually they are. I mean, it's it's funny to see the human condition go way south when people have money. Well, and I have a solution. I have a solution. Again, this show's about solutions. So this is what you do. CIG needs to start a work immediately on the quarter deck system, which is already in fiction, which is the prison planet. And so when you're penalized for this sort of uh, behavior, you have to act, your character gets transported to the quarter deck system and must complete the following missions in any sort of numerical, uh, appropriately scaled amounts. Potato peeling, floor mopping, plasma pipe cleaning, toilet scrubbing, carrot slicing. So they have to spend time in game doing these ridiculously boring things where they don't have access to all their fancy equipment that they that they did, or they can just walk away from the game for like 24 hours or whatever, or a week, or whatever it is. And those things need to scale. So if you just draw your weapon and you don't shoot anybody, that's like you got to go do 10 of those. Or you can just wait 24 hours. Or if, you, if this is the third time you've drawn your weapon on Terra Prime, you got to go do 100 of them. Or you can wait a week. But there has to be a, a real-time penalty for imposing or inflicting upon another player something that, in, quote, the real world, will get you tossed into prison for life. Armed assault carries, you know, years in prison as a penalty. Uh, and so there needs to be something commensurate with that in the game to take away somebody's fun if your fun involves shooting unarmed civilians in security zones. And the same thing can be done for, for you know shooting at other ships and stuff in the game. But I think you have to spend time in the game doing stuff that sucks if your idea of fun is taking away other people's fun. And this has got to be automated. This has got to be swift and merciless punishment in those securities, uh, you know, those secured zones. Right now, the way they have it in there with a, a monetary penalty versus the potential of some sort of permadeath or at least advancing the death clock on your death of a spaceman, they really have to change that balance a lot. Otherwise, it seems like they're designing griefing into the system. And I understand the argument that, well, grief is going to happen anyway, so we might as well just, you know, design the system to account for that. That's fine, but I'm, but what, if this is their idea of balancing that out, it is woefully inadequate. Plus, you know, think about it this way. It's a different game experience. You might get really good at being in prison, and you can have a high prison reputation, which means when you get out, you can be contacted for all kinds of crazy, dirty jobs. 
I, I look back at some of the other forms of punishment that, that our societies have had throughout the years. You know, there was indentured servitude for seven years. Basically, you were a worker for another person that you'd wronged, and you, you worked off your, your debt for the next seven years, whatever that debt was. Revoking your pilot's license if you're shooting it unarmed or you know, in high security space, you can only be hired out to fly other people's ships. That would work. Well, I mean, you could always take it with, uh, you were saying that, you know, if you pull your gun out in a crowded space or whatever, how in, if you went and then point blank shot someone in real life, you would be life imprisoned. There's no reason why they couldn't just kill the griefer, if you see what I mean, make them have to reload on their next of kin. You know, in fiction, I think they're saying your character's been arrested for forever and ever and ever. Yeah. That, that's that's fine. I like that. That's fine. You can inflict permadeath on somebody, you, you get permadeath too. Great. That makes it even. Yeah, exactly. And then it would completely disincentivize doing the griefing unless you... Well, sorry, I'm just thinking this through now. Unless, of course, you don't mind just creating loads of shell characters effectively. Well, and I think, I think that I think there will be some sort of, quote, death penalty... You know, it's some sort of a state tax, or maybe your ship is charged extra fees, or there's a transfer paperwork, or something. There's, there, I mean, there should be just as a matter of course some sort of transition fees associated with a permadeath, an actual permadeath. Yeah, um, but as we know, the game, or currently, obviously, the game is going to be uh, free to play in the persistent universe. So, what's to stop someone setting up a second account and just coming in and just maybe they won't be able to necessarily one shot because they've got you know crappy weapons on a starter character but what's right. to stop someone using level one in inverted commas characters to just relentlessly murder people and that might be where we talk about jeff's stuff about you know perma banning take away their pilot's license and then just making them not be able to zone into terra prime you know that that character simply cannot zone into terra prime more more thought needs to be put into this. I think going back to thinking about it more, going back to your idea though, I think that is pretty good because you are you are taking away the griefer's enjoyment because the griefer yes. has taken away the enjoyment of the end user. So yes. by doing that, you know, you are forcing them into something that they don't want to do necessarily. Like you said, they may get really good at potato peeling and hey, more power to them, right? And so you know, go, go find somebody else and shoot them in the head, and you're back to potato peeling again. Hey, yeah. that's an in-universe punishment for an in-universe crime. I'm down at that point. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm not saying I would enjoy being being sniped in the back of the head by one of those guys, but I would say, well, you know, off to potato peeling you go, man. Yeah, one of the, one of the things I had a discussion with uh, with some buddies of mine was was if you were to able to build a new society, how would you treat citizens? And my idea, the idea that I came up with was, the more of a good citizen you were, the less impact on your life it would be. So taxes, utilities. So if you were a good citizen and you helped out others and you did a good job at work, and you know, just basically good for society, the benefits of being a good citizen outweighed those of being a bad citizen. Well, it says, you know, positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. So therefore, theoretically, if you're a bad citizen, you get charged a higher tax rate because you're more expensive to deal with. Right, right. Unfortunately, the problem is then you'd have to have it very carefully uh, calculated so that uh, everyone understood that it didn't take much to get to be a better citizen and it actually takes an actual effort to become a bad citizen. Right. It could work, but you have to, you know, you have to game it out and uh, and you know run some iterations on it to see what would work. But that's what game economies are all about, right? You can tweak them and uh, you know see what people do. So, Jeff, what was your favorite thing about the Star Citizen Town Hall? Oh, my favorite thing uh, it was kind of cool going through the jump point. Yes. What they didn't show us was an in cockpit view, and I don't know if it's because they didn't want people to throw up or if they didn't even have one. 
uh, it seemed kind of automated to me. You know, the front and rear views, it just seemed like it was on autopilot. Yeah, I reckon they probably did that for a couple of reasons. I think, firstly, it's probably because it's just a pre-rendered sequence that isn't quite in-engine yet. And two, they probably don't want to ruin what it's going to be like to actually have to fly it. You know, seeing it from a third-person view, you don't really get a sense of exactly how minute the movements are that you need to make in order to compensate for everything that's going on. So I think they're purposely holding that back a bit. I liked it. It looked fun. But I don't like this idea that they disappear. I mean, I thought these jump points are supposed to be like sort of fixed locations in space. And so the fact that the, all of a sudden your major trade route, you know, between Earth and Stanton or Terra or whatever suddenly just moves, ups and disappears, it doesn't sort of fit with what we know about the universe so far. It seems odd. Well, going uh, back to previous letters from the chairman and various other bits of universe fiction, I was always under the impression that the major ones, like Earth to Terra, you know, they're big solid jump points for one of a much better term and you know they've been in existence for eons and uh, there's no hint of them going anywhere but the smaller ones that may say go from uh, earth to nix or earth to magnus they might appear be a convenient shortcut and they might disappear after they've get, been used like 20 times by big ships like Idris's or something like that. Because I think it's always been said that you will have to go and redo the jump points because that's part of the whole cartography um, job that they're going to have in the universe. But uh, yeah, that's that's the way that I always took it to mean. Yeah, well, as long as they've got as long as they have that, something like that figured out. I mean, it's hard to build an interstellar empire when your ocean drives up, you know, every three weeks, and you can't get to your colony. That would seem right. sort of a hindrance on setting up a colony in the first place. Yeah, but I mean, they often compare going through jump points to going over mountain passes, where sometimes only smaller vehicles can fit through, and other times, you know, they're wide enough for bigger ones. I think it, you know, to use the mountain pass analogy again, it's like in some instances there's just a bit of a avalanche or something like that that would then render that path useless. It doesn't mean that other paths can't be created, and the more major paths are probably still absolutely fine. It's just the little right. tiny ones that you would use as shortcuts about the place. Okay, well, one thing that I've noticed that wasn't on this list that I'm quite excited about was uh, it was in the Getting Social talk where they were talking about the release of the social module and they were saying that the next edition of the social module that they bring out is going to have a form of persistence between it because right now Mm. if you go into arena commander and let's just say you're flying a mustang don't know why i would pick that (laughs) and your wings get shot and you can't land it's a space pony okay when you're flying your space pony or your space wasp if you're a hornet fan when you get shot and you can't land properly you know, you just, once you reload into the next match, your ship is fine, it's all there. You don't have to do anything particularly fancy with it. Equally, though, this works in a bad way when it comes to things like loadouts, because once you do a loadout once, every time you reload, you've got to do that loadout again. There's no way to keep it persistent between sessions. And what they were saying is that in the next version of the the social module that's going to be released, they will have this persistence, um, and the persistence will stick between sessions, so your damage states will carry over. All of your purchases that you've done through the website and all that sort of thing, they'll be there, they'll be available, so that'll mean that things like ammo racks will start depleting, bullet types will start depleting, and so forth for the purposes of alpha testing there'll be a button that will allow you to reset everything back to defaults so your ship will become brand new your weapons Good. will be refilled nice because I get shot a lot yeah, yeah, uh, yeah me but, too but remember that we are playing a simulator and we're not playing in the persistent universe there's a there's a distinct right. difference between 
continuing damage states in the persistent universe versus what we're doing in the simulator. Hence the reset button. Yeah. I think that's kind of cool, though. I mean, think about Dragon Age or any of those other sort of MMO things. If you log out at half health with half your arrows gone and all your spells depleted, you log back in and you're the same way. Then you just hit a button and you rest or you go to the shopkeeper and buy more arrows or whatever. So, I mean, I think, I think, it, I think it stays true. I think, it, I think it stays true to their in-fiction sort of mechanics that they're going for. I like it. And the best part about it for me is that they said that they were aiming to release this by the end of the year. So that means that come December, we should have the real first start of the mini persistent universe. And that they also plan on expanding from just Arc Corp as the system to the five systems that we covered in the show before the last one. And that's just five. That'll be unique as well. They said if they can, they're going to uh, hopefully have the systems in place to be able to reuse the assets. That will allow them to create a lot more systems, hopefully in the uh, low double digits. So, yeah, the first real taste of the Persistent Universe, scheduled for December. I reckon it'll get pushed back, as always, over the pessimist. But um, (laughs) it's still really exciting nonetheless. But now it's time for News We Didn't Use. Your Aurora has been repaired under warranty, so now it's time to return your 300i. 10 for the chairman, 51, where Chris answers, So, what is Alpha? Winky face. Meet the CIG devs, episode 9 with John Erskine, studio director of CIG Austin. The pre-VAT ship sale was kicked off early. Not that it makes any difference now. Photos from the Star Citizen Town Hall are out, so be sure to check them out. Showdown, Suj Kasi Special, Part 2. Rebuilding the Tavaran culture causes tension in the UEE. Around the verse 29, the sneak peek contains some hall melting good action and an interview with the legal brains behind CIG. Fan Spotlight Voice Attack Profiles Volume 2. Cyclops Online. And CIG are returning to PAX East, so get your tickets now. I am hoping that they'll make a deal with Voice Attack and put it as part of the game. It would make it easier to code and, and set up, I think. Well, I mean, they, they, they're beg-borrowing and stealing from everybody. You know, they got a special deal with CryEngine. they got a special deal with Moon Collider. they got, you know, why not a special deal with the Voice Attack people? Yeah, definitely. Uh, something that I thought was quite cool in terms of the Chairman 51 was they were talking about shields and how the shields work. And will it be possible if you have a big ship like a Bengal carrier for a smaller ship to sort of fly through your shields? And basically, the just the quick version is the way that they said that shields will work is that the shields will absorb energy from uh, energy weapons like, you know, lasers and the sort, but they won't stop kinetic. So... If it's a, a ballistic that'll hit, it'll go through. It will lose some energy and momentum en route. But what this means is that if you're in a smaller ship, like a Hornet versus a Bengal carrier, provided you can get through all of the artillery that's going to be firing at you and you make your way through their solution, you could just fly through their shields and then you've got unrestricted access to the hull. Don't the shields kind of hug? I mean, how close would you have to be before you were, quote, through the shields? even on a large capital ship like that. I reckon there'll be pockets and areas. Yeah, I, I'm kind of curious about that as well. I mean, literally, they emanate from the hull. Yeah, it's just too much. It's too much. We don't know enough about it. But interesting speculation, nonetheless. Oh, and Mark Bugsmasher 
Arbent. He's broken his leg, so uh, we just want to wish you all well from the guard frequency crew here. Get well soon, sir. Mm. I mean, I think it's quite clear because the guy's got a broken leg, but I'm going to have to ask anyway. Where the f*** is the first-person shooter module? Uh, Still, we're waiting. And the way it's going, maybe we're going to get the social module first, right? Yeah, what's up with that? March, April. I mean, I hear more about the release of that than I do about the first-person shooter. Yeah, there was surprisingly little in the town hall discussion about that. I think I think they were focusing on the persistent universe there, but I, I really would have liked to have seen some more some more progress on on that. Maybe there maybe there was and it just wasn't videotaped or we haven't seen the videotape of it or whatever. But, yeah. Well, you know, sooner they get that done, sooner they get the multi crew multiplayer ships out, and then I can fly my Connie. Yes. But in the is... meantime, in the meantime, yeah. I have actually been playing Arena Commander. Uh, <gasps> been, really? Yeah, I actually, me too. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, oh, me three. It really is. <clears throat> Until the yes. day when I when uh, I tried to download the latest patch and it kept saying access denied, so I'm now downloading the redownloading the whole game. Ooh, oh, not good. But it is an alpha. And, and I do have a little shameful kind of thing to admit. I've been playing a little WoW this week. Ooh, that's okay. We can oh, cut oh. that. Oh, yeah, definitely. We don't. We have a certain reputation to maintain. Yeah. Although if, if you. Although if you want a game that has a quest like Peel 10 Potatoes, wow, is go. the way you want to go. <laughs> Actually, that's in wow. See, we're stealing yeah. from that game, too. <laughs> and this week's community question. In Reverse the Verse, CIG says it's uh, still being decided if Arena Commander credits will be used to purchase or rent ships and guns. What are your thoughts? Let us know. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. And now that we're all caught up with the latest news from around the verse, let's go and find out all we can about Klaus and Werner in this week's Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Welcome to the Dog's House, sponsored by Kent Dog's Cash, the leading wholesaler on the spectrum. Kent Dog's Cash. You order it, we deliver it. Kent's delivery pilots use what they sell, so it will get there. I'm Spectrum personality Carrie Kerrigan, and I can't wait to tell you about the great deals they have available right now. With me today, we have Leslie Darren Manning, sales director for Klaus and Werner. Leslie, what makes K&W different from everyone else? Thanks for having me, Terry. You know, it all started with Hector Klaus, an accomplished amateur weapons designer. His philosophy was always, make a quality gun with as few moving parts as possible. You know, fewer things to break. (laughs) He got his first professional contract working for Bering's lab on terror, and he saw firsthand something interesting. Bering makes its weapons on government contracts, but makes its money on replacement parts. Yeah, I know. So, when Hector met Jessica Werner the wealthy widow of an industrialist, they created a new company where he could make the guns how he wanted to. The best materials put together with craftsman-level care. I brought our lead technical expert, Gastron Dario Strickland, to talk a little bit about the quality of the weapons. Thanks, Chelsea. Unlike many companies with diverse selection of items, Klaus Warner makes guns. More guns and different guns. You won't find engines, scanners, or fish tanks in the Klaus Warner catalog. <laughs> Everyone loves KW for affordable and efficient guns. They work well and are a bit simpler to repair and fix if something does go wrong. Sometimes the military contracts light with KW to make weapons, but it's only for small orders. But the military pilots that do end up with KW gear really appreciate their reliability. 
Thanks, Justin. Kent Dog's Cash has several of K&W's best designs to choose from, including the line of repeaters they're famous for. Now, experienced pilots know the downside to lasers is their low damage potential, much less than that of neutron or kinetic weapons. The other guys tend to opt for longer range and accuracy for lasers. K&W has opted for the approach that if you fire enough shots, something is bound to hit. They have three models of repeaters available, the Simple Badger, the Stylish Bulldog, and the Supreme Panther. Tell us about them, Lester. The Bulldog is a great starter weapon to get used to repeaters. They are low cost and have a low power consumption. The output is not high, but the accuracy and the rate of fire is good. The Badger is next up. It's finely tuned and is more stylish than the Bulldog, and it's quite a step up. Let me cut in there, Lexton. Both are good guns. But if you have a choice, you want the Panther. When you press the trigger, just sit back and smile as the laser blasts tear up the target. It does eat a bit more power than the other two, but if you take out your opponent fast enough, that hardly matters. If your power supply can handle it, and your ship can man it, and your account has the credits, the Panther is entirely the best choice. Of course, when you buy from Kent Dog's Cash, your account won't need as many credits as you would buying anywhere else. <laughs> We've got a special deal today as well. If you buy a pair of repeaters, you get a K&W Model 2 Arclight pistol with your order absolutely free. The Arclight, just like Kyle Fenris carries in that popular spectrum drama, The Frontier. That's all the time we have for now on The Dog's House. Remember that Kent Dog's Cash is the leading wholesaler on the spectrum. You order it, we deliver it. Our delivery pilots use what we sell, so it will get there. This is Gary Kerrigan saying, keep your feet in space and keep reaching for the stars. Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a nugget of lore some sit or sip taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he once destroyed a Vandal hunter with only a spoon and changed the fatal course of an asteroid with only the power of love. But all we know is he's called the Shiv and he put together this week's feedback. From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Dillick says, Great show. Love it, even if you're not first during the week. Oh, sad face. Time compression. It has been stated that two hours of real time will be one day in the verse. That will be the reason we're able to travel so fast with point two c I know some aren't fans of time compression, but what if you lose your ship and insurance tells you it'll take three days to get it back? Would you wait three real days or six hours? Your call. Have a great week. I don't like time compression, but I know we have to deal with it. And I don't like the point two c thing, but I know I'm going to have to deal with it. I'm bucking up. And no mini jump points either, so... Shut up, shut up! One thing hey, at a time! Hey, Two things at a you time. know, if you keep holding that pace, you're going to be stuck with it. I am already stuck with it. <laughs> and Montadilla writes in and says, Fairly new listener here. Great podcast. I'm absolutely fine. Well, hang on. Amontillado. Uh, what did I say? I don't know, but it was not Amontillado. Amontillado. What? You're, you're, not saying, you're not saying the Muy bueno. Muy macho. Amontillado. Ow! Spanish blokey writes in and says, Fairly new listener here. Great podcast. I'm absolutely fine with the notion of thrusters, quantum drives, and jump drives. I don't really see the need for mini jump points or the value in fretting over the actual speed of light or real distances of various celestial objects from one another. My favorite takeaway from the PAX South Town Halls? 
Well, it may seem silly, but it's the revelation that we will have some variants in body type for our characters. I was afraid it would all be facial and clothing customization only. Thanks for your efforts, Scar Frequency Crew. Now, I gotta say though, I, I he he is an example, or she is an example of probably a large percentage of the player base, uh, probably a lot more than we fear, that don't really care that this is a uh, persistent, fictitious universe that's supposed to mirror civilization with rules and physics. physics right. Yeah. Which is fine, but understand that the game is created for the purpose of those things. Right. The original backers were excited that it was supposed to be a sort of physics-based thing where the thrusters would fire and your ship would move. It's a game. We get it. But it was just just like uh, the Griefer thing. I would like it to be designed from the get-go being as close to reality as possible. And oh, 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 oh. And the one thing interesting I found in the, the Pax Hall thing, you know whose fault it is that we can't be taller and fatter than maybe what we'd like to be? The, the size constraint, the cockpit constraint. Is it me? You know who the worst offender? No, it, well, it is. The worst offender? The space pony. <laughs> the space pony has the most constrictive cockpit uh, dimensions, and so therefore the entire population of, of the verse, all the pilots in the verse, will be restricted because of the space pony cockpit. That's, that That's is very much bu- space oh, pony. That. I didn't need to hear that. One more reason to hate it. I didn't need to hear that. Now, now I got something to rant and rave over. There we go. There it is. How? Oh, you space-loving pony bit. No, just, just let it go, Jeff. You have to <laughs> remember. Just just hold your face like this. And just, okay. just let it go. Um, it's okay. I'll hold it in. Nix writes in and says, I say keep both mini jump points and quantum drives, though why call them mini jump points? I always thought that the game needs more jump points. More jump points for us, the map is good. What to say that a jump point can't lead to another location in the same system? Jump points should tend to be attracted by gravity to increase the chance of them going someplace interesting. Shorter jumps should be easier to find and easier to map. This way you can have several short jumps within scanner range and you could go within a few minutes of travel at 0.2c without having to resort to time or space compression. A good scanner can also give you a rough estimate of the distance and direction a jump point will take you even at long range to give you an opportunity to steer your travels in roughly the direction you want to go. This is good. This is fine. You don't have to call them mini jump points. Just call them jump points. I like this. The only slight flaw that I see is that, well, if they're attracted by gravity, what is the largest source of gravity in a solar system? The sun. Yeah. Well, that's when the scanner comes up and says, don't go here. Because this goes to the sun. Wait, I want to mine the sun for my fuel. What if we go at night? Oh, brilliant. See, we're all about solutions. Sneak up on it from behind. Good idea. Mm -hmm. See? It's what we do at this show. We make solutions. Nicely done, Lennon. Sean Newboy says, Wonderful show, everyone. Trying hard to resist the urge to settle for the Aurora LX package on sale right now. Yeah, Aurora's fine. Just don't take that step into the space pony. You'll regret that. In this week's edition of The Wrongness of Tony, Ostron writes in and says, I don't like the mini jump point system idea. I think it would either create artificial choke points in systems that would severely limit the ability of an explorer profession to exist, or the entry range and pervasiveness of such jump points would have to be so expansive as to make the distinction between that and a BSG-esque insta-jump drive academic. I like the description of the mining mechanic. It's more in-depth than anything we've seen or heard so far, and it very nicely illustrated how something like mining could be interesting and or dangerous, apart from, hey, you're under attack, and you happen to be mining. 
agree mm-hmm. on the mining part, not on the video. Yeah. Uh, no, gonna... no, no, wrong. wrong. Just Osteron. No, no. We had to sit down and talk about it. Osteron? More like Osterong. Yeah. Oster- yeah. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Except I agree with him, so he's Osterite. Shut up. <laughs> hey, he flies space ponies. Don't listen to him, Tony. From the RSI forum post, Sally Adin writes, Great show, guys. Jeff and the blooper reel had me rolling. I did? What did I do? Oh, this you just beat you, oh. Jeff. Mm-hmm. As for the town hall, I like the Moby Glass ideas with augmented reality. Not a fan of the name. Cubby Blast, though. Odd name for a gun shop. Regarding the ripping off of quantum engine charge uptime from ED, I disagree. It was mentioned in the presentation that the charge time is to allow assets to load for the next areas. I think it's a cover for this limitation. Would you guys agree that this mechanic is a necessary evil that they're trying to be creative with, or should we expect more from CIG on this mechanic? I think it's a pretty straight ripoff, and I think ED probably does it for the same reason. You have to load in your different maps and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. You could just load in a map while something else was happening besides a charge-up. I don't well, know. see, the problem with that, though, is that there's... a jump point mechanic like they've already got built. Yeah. I don't know, I'm just saying. And there's so many different directions that you could pick. Which map should it load if you're stationary in space? So, as I missed last week's discussion on the whole uh, stealing the quantum drive from Elite Dangerous, is this not, yeah. though, actually the very same thing that they have in EVE Online, but they have warp drive, where basically you have to point towards your destination engage your warp drive which takes a few seconds to power up and then you go zooming at like whatever speed it is that they declare before finally dropping out in front of a space station or whatever exactly see i don't yeah, think same. i don't think it's stealing i think it's more of uh, the way the it has to be done is, yeah it has to be done on the exciting sequel of the wrongness of tony kin shadow appears to voice his wisdom and says, the reason they have the quantum drive and jump points is really to signify the two types of travel, interruptible and non-interruptible. If you are in a jump point, you fall out one end or the other, even if you fail the transit. This was covered in the recent town hall. Yes, it was. Uh, for the quantum drive, you can be interrupted by asteroids, pirates, etc. So you can be forced into or create an instance at any point in the star system. Many jump points breaks this system. He goes on to say, my favorite part of PAX South was, obviously, the part where I got to pitch my idea. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and the, the guys liked it. The panel liked it. Uh, the jump point visualization was a r- close runner-up. I wish they'd gotten more of the pirate stuff they were planning on, though. So, yeah, uh, Ken Shadow got to get up there and talk about a reputation system. Warmly received by the panel. Congratulations, sir. I thought it was a good idea, too. There's a good conversation between uh, Ken Shadow and a couple other listeners on our show thread from last week, and uh, it's pretty good. You should check it out. From squawkerguardfrequency.com, a haiku from Jeebus Gleep. Trackballs overall. Gents, space ponies equal love. Embrace it. Hugs. Gleep. Well, A-plus for style, mm. but F for content, sir. Mm, no. See, I'm going to grade him a bit higher, and I know Jeff will grade him down, so you're going to end up with a D at best, I'm afraid. No, <laughs> uh, oh, never mind. I am keeping my grimace face. My thoughts will come out at some time, maybe after some Metamucil or something. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where your thoughts come from, Jeff? <laughs> I need some Metamucil. I have to think. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh. And from the Guard Frequency Facebook page, Mac McLeod writes, Great show, guys, but just on occasion, could you steal cookie cupcakes for the show? He was referring to one of the hosts from our sister show, Priority One. We could steal her, but most of the show would be like, What the hell is this? What are you talking about? Jace likes both games, and so we can steal him. 
he's pretty on the ball on both games, but Cookie just doesn't play this game. Getting my new four gigabyte graphics card in a few days, so finally we'll be able to join the guard in some arena commander. Excellent. I Holy love my crap. card. Crap, you're gonna kick our asses. Chris Trone writes in to say, ha ha ha, poor Lennon, sad face. Yeah, sorry, sorry. At least I'm back this week though. From Twitter, Darison Hurston says, I'm a former podcaster. I can appreciate the work you guys put into the show. Thanks. Thanks, man. He also plucked us to his followers, which is worth a non-zero number of Harrison Fords. Oh, yeah, metric money. Mm. All right. Green Dragoon popped in to remind us that Star Citizen is still in alpha. Shiv's real meaninginator suggests this means stop whining so much. Who's whining? Sir, we record and produce a podcast every week specifically to give us a platform to whine. You guys do. I love the Mustang. I love the lack of mini jump points. It's great to be alive. (laughs) Honey, more Metamucil, please. (laughs) Tabascoid, quote a picture of his stickers. Yay, Yay, stickers. stickers. And in reply to the picture of the hats from the town hall, Raindrake's mouth says, Steam hat economy, hashtag confirmed. And Permanent Starlight says, Bring on the star citizen, fedora shaming. Known troll, Priority One's Elijah says, Hey, at Guard Freak, I thought playing some star citizen would be fun. No, my wrist hurts. All replies to his tweet have been redacted by HR. Apparently, Elijah (laughs) really likes Star Citizen, though. Really likes Star Citizen. A little bit too Mm, much. mm, 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 mm. KJL Taiwan says, So apparently the Moby Glass design post mentions horseback riding. I wonder if this is real or an exaggeration to prove a point. And Rogue Force tunes in says, I might have to buy a Mustang. The wife wants one. From Google+, Plus, many thanks to everybody who shared the post across the Plusiverse. And from our amazing donors of monetary goodness, well, no new patrons, but the Shiv has promised that if we double our number of patrons by the February 14th, he will eat an entire bag of ghost pepper chips as fast as possible and record it on oh, video. Ouch. Oh, oh, well, you know, if Shiv wants to impose that kind of pain upon himself, I think you ought to do it for him, guys. So if you're not a member of our Patreon core of monetary goodness donators, just go to our webpage, guardfrequency.com, hit the big P, or go to patreon.com slash guardfreak. And speaking of Patreon, this week, random.org chose as winners Chris Such and Brian Rossman. So if you would like to be in with a chance of winning a sticker, well, become a backer for any amount you want per show. And eventually you'll probably win a sticker and it's not just stickers guys the more donators we get the more people that chip in per episode we'll get more and more things uh, added to the store so chip in and there'll be more and different swag we'll add in a reminder of this week's community question in reverse the verse cig said it's still being decided if arena commander credits will be used to purchase or to rent ships and guns what are your thoughts let us know send us an email to squawk at cardfrequency.com or post in our show thread over at robertspaceindustries.com. So, how was the show? Did we label all the hats correctly, or did we say rancho when we meant bowler? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, and you can also subscribe at feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just find us on iTunes. Hit us up on Twitter at guardfreak, and start an argument on our Reddit at guardfreak.reddit.com. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. 
And that brings us to the end of episode 57 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 58 on February 10th. So be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subform. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways that we just ran down, you can also use the contact form on our website. And all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come help make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, why not check out our sister production, Priority One? They cover Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. Just go to priorityonepodcast.com. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Well, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday nights, then you should really come and join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 8.30pm Central, that's Sundays at 2.30am GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Simon Charlton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineers, Mike Duncan and Skippy. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work, including his new release, Alpha Numeric. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, Deep black gets pretty low. Reduce thrust. Time to three three zero. Carol one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the curve. We've added a new feat. It's definitely it's not the copy. It's us. It's a firmament peacher. Mm. It's a firmament peacher. It is a firmament peacher. God, I could go for some firmament peaches. In research funded by the Air Force Office of Scientific Research, Hao Zin, Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the University of Arizona. Holy crap, that cat is mad. Not a fan of the name, Cuddly Blast. Oh, oh wait, what's that? <laughs> Cubby Blast. <laughs> Cubbly Blast. I like that name better. Let's call it Cubbly Blast. Let's go with it. Play yeah, order. Exactly. Yeah. Like all my crit- Sorry? I just said woohoo. Oh, well, don't. It's distracting. They said that in the next version of the social module, they're... Blah. Sorry, just swallowed a fly. <laughs> That's what you get for saying space wasps. That's what it was, yeah. They heard me. They attacked. Ah. Mm-hmm. You don't see me and Jeff getting run over by horses. Not yet. Feel free to move it. Oh, okay. Right. I was waiting for you to move it. Oh. No, no, you do it. No, 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 no. No, you do, you do it. No, you, no, you, no, I insist. It's quite all right. You know, you go right ahead. Mm. The goal is to get Carrick and Hanger by the end of oh, the year. Oh, let, let, hang on. Let's oh. do a little introduction. On okay. Uh, uh, and and for- on revert. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. Go ahead. You do it. You, do it. You, do it. you got it. You got it. You got it. It's all yours. Or not? What? I, I'm sorry. I, I, I missed you, that yeah. whole thing. I, I skyped out. Oh, I said. I said. I said. You got it. It's all yours. And then we had dead silence of not good radio. Oh, but it, it uh, is all yours, Jeff. Uh, uh, Intro it and own it. Go for it. Okay. Now go.